Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today on the Better Call Daddy show, we're speaking with Riley Gaines. You may recognize her name from the news. She recently made headlines for speaking out against injustice in the athletic world against women. This was sparked at a recent NCAA swimming competition where Riley tied for fifth place with a transgender woman who is biologically male. Riley was told the trophy would be given to her opponent and she could wait for hers in the mail. What infuriated her was not the trophy or lack thereof, but the fact that she is a woman at a women's competition was pushed aside and disregarded. Today, we're going to find out what issues she's facing and why she's speaking up. Riley, welcome. I love the Kentucky shirt. That's very on brand. Yes, I know I had to. Thank you so much. I actually did an interview this morning and they were like, oh, you're from UK? Like, where's your British accent? I was like, no, I'm not from the UK. I just go to UK. Like, <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Kind of oh funny. my gosh, that's funny. Tell me about that interview. It was with the podcast. I believe it's called Back Talk. I did some research about you and I'm excited. So, oh yeah, that's fun. Yes. Do you wish yes, that yes. Um, you would have spoke up sooner? I don't know. I feel like kind of waiting until I got there, got to see the experience firsthand. So, you know, I got to really witness how it affected myself and others because if I would have done so beforehand, having never raced Leah, I'm sure people would have looked at that as a bit of prejudice, which wouldn't have been that because that's not what this problem is about. It's not about, you know, the issue being transgender people in general or even transgender athletes. You know, I think everyone should be able to compete, but there is a line in terms of talking about fairness in competitions and in events, and especially within women's athletics. I think that, you know, having that line drawn is such a fine line. And so I feel like having said something before I got to witness it, it wouldn't have gotten my message across as effectively. That's interesting. I am so curious, like the messages that are coming to your <laughs> inbox. Yeah, no, it's definitely been wild, crazy. I've had just about every news outlet reach out to me. Um, I'm actually going back on Fox News in the morning. But I mean, CNN, Washington Times, New York, I mean, everything. And so it's just been absolutely wild. But I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity. And this is something clearly I feel very passionately about. And so to be able to talk about it, and I know I'm speaking for more than just myself. I'm speaking for other athletes who are scared. I'm speaking for young little girls who don't have this opportunity, for past athletes who have fought so hard, you know, to get to where women can compete on the level we were, to have that taken away. And so to be able to be kind of like this spokesperson for that, it's really special. And I, I don't take it lightly. How do you even prepare for that? Yeah, honestly, I don't do too much preparing because this is something that, you know, 
is so true to my heart and something that I just can resonate with so well because I have, I've been an athlete my whole life. And so I know what it takes. And I I've seen so many athletes before me who have fought to get here and I've heard stories. And so I don't honestly need preparing because this is something that's just, it can just roll off my tongue at this point because it's how I feel. It's my true convictions. And so anything I'm saying, it's, it's not rehearsed. It's, it's really how I feel and it's real. So that makes it easier. Yeah, for sure. A lot less preparation for me, which is maybe scary, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about what it took to get to the NCAA. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I've been swimming, I just turned 22 and I started swimming when I was eight. So what is that? I mean, probably almost 15 years of swimming every single day. My past four years at college, we swam about five hours every single day, not including, you know, all the lifts we had, not including the ab workouts we would do, not including team bonding stuff. I mean, it's a huge time commitment and a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think, oh, swimming, like whatever. No, it's a lot of work. You're up at 5 a.m. every day. If you're studying and doing school like you should be, you're studying every night till, I mean, 8 or 9 p.m. It's a time commitment. It's a sacrifice. You give up your personal life. I'm at University of Kentucky Every single summer, I have to stay there, every single Christmas, every single Thanksgiving. And so I don't know if people realize how intense swimming is. You know, we get one week off in August a year, and that is it. So definitely a time commitment and requires a lot of personal sacrifices. Where did your love for swimming come from? Honestly, I didn't even realize I was good until I was about like 12. I kind of just did it. I did a bunch of different sports. I love swimming and I love softball, but honestly, my love for softball was a little more. And so I didn't sit down and pick which sport I was going to do until high school. And I was like, you know what, let's stick with swimming. I think I can get somewhere with this. And once I kind of committed myself to only swimming, I really fell in love with it. I love doing it. There are definitely days where it's a little dreaded, but I got to this point where it was a privilege to be there. And that's when I realized like, I can go far doing this if it doesn't feel like a job, you know? It wasn't as much as I have to be there. It was, I get to be there. And that's when my love for swimming really started. When did that happen? Probably in high school. I've always had great coaches my whole life, but there's one coach in particular. Her name is Andrea. She's from Romania. So she's a bit stern and she actually coached me from the point where I was eight all the way up through high school. So, I mean, 10 years of my life was spent with her. So she's like my second mom. And so when she's like yelling at little eight-year-old me and her Romanian accent, I had no idea what she's saying. And she would make me get out and do push-ups and stuff. But her tough love, you know, really pushed me. And we formed this relationship and this bond. And, you know, she kind of pushed me to be the best I can be. And once I realized that in high school, that's when I, I really was like, you know what? I kind of like this sport. Wow. So was she your inspiration? Yeah, for sure. I have tons just because I come from a pretty athletic family. Both my parents played D1 sports. My dad played in the NFL. All my uncles played in the NFL, Super Bowl rings. And so having that kind of competitive factor, you know, in my genes almost, it's easy to have these kind of role models in my life. People I've looked up to just because they exhibit so many great personality traits that, you know, sports have kind of helped them develop. And so I can look up to them and think, you know, I want to be like them. And so I'm extremely fortunate. That is amazing. Yeah. I was going to ask your daddy's story. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, no, I know. So my dad actually played football at University or Vanderbilt cool. in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, so he comes from an SEC school, which prompted me to want to stay in an SEC school. He played football, and I believe it was his junior year of college where they had a game against Ole Miss. And my dad was running back. And so there was one play where quarterback threw it to my dad. My dad caught it and was tackled by a player named Chucky Mullins on Ole Miss's team. Chucky ended up, I believe, breaking his spine. There was a couple bones in his spine that broke, causing him to be paralyzed. And so it's honestly a really, I mean, it's a sad story, clearly, but it's a really great story. He lived for about six months. And in that six months that Chucky lived, he was just such an inspiration to so many. And him and my dad became like best friends. And so I believe he died about six months later of a blood clot, which was obviously incredibly hard on my dad. You know, you feel all this, this guilt and this blame, which is something, you know, he still has to deal with. And so definitely a hard time he had through that. But this kind of explains my background and how I was raised. But every single year, he visits Chucky's grave three times. He goes on Christmas morning because he thinks no one should spend Christmas alone. And so since I was born, my dad's never been home on Christmas, which I obviously, when I was younger, didn't understand. But now, you know, I'm totally supportive and understanding of that. He goes on the day of the hit, which was in October, and then he goes the day he passed away, which was in May. And this year, that happened to be the day of my college graduation. And so my dad (laughs) drove all the way down from Nashville to Alabama, which is where Chucky's grave is, and then drove all the way back up to Kentucky just in time to watch me graduate, like literally walked in (laughs) as I'm like walking across the stage. And so I think that just really shows how, you know, I've kind of developed into the person I've developed. My family is everything to me. And having these role models who are so selfless is really incredible. What a remarkable human. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. He's great. He really is. My mom too. They're just so supportive of me no matter what I'm doing. And so I really couldn't be more blessed. That is a tremendous blessing. So you take their wisdom to heart. Yeah, for sure. Any advice they have, it weighs on me heavy, but they're great. They're always listening to me if I'm saying something, which I know is a lot of the times. (laughs) And so they're always giving me advice, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Wow. That is truly amazing. Okay. I have so many questions from the audience. So (laughs) I want to bring up some of those. Paul Lebedinsky wants to know, what did it mean to you to have Governor Ron DeSantis acknowledge you as the winner? Yeah. So that was actually Emma Wyatt. She placed second in the 500, or yeah, the 500 freestyle. And I mean, she's an Olympian. So it's not like she's some scrub who plays second. You know, she went to the Olympics this past year. And so I know to her, it must have been just extremely heartbreaking, you know, to have been a national champion in normal circumstances and to kind of have that taken away from you. Because let's be honest, especially in swimming, you know, no one thinks about second place, not to take any light away from it because it's an incredible honor. I don't think people realize that too, you know, getting second in the whole entire country is an accomplishment of itself, but you're focused on your national champion. And so to have that kind of stripped, I I can't imagine what she was feeling. And so for the governor, Ron DeSantis, to do that, I think that one took a lot of guts, which is sad to say it takes a lot of guts to call the first female winner a national champion. But I can't imagine what kind of stress and pressure he was under. But to do that, I mean, he gained so much respect from me. And I know so many other female athletes. And, you know, I don't think this is something that has to be political either. And so by him doing that, I'm sure he gained respect, not just from Republicans, but from 
everyone, Democrats as well. And so I think that was really remarkable. And, you know, it's something that a lot of people were extremely appreciative of. I love that. Okay. I'm going to have to read this one because it was a little bit long. This is really fun. I got more questions on the fact that I was interviewing you than I think I've gotten yet. (laughs) So crazy. I'm sure your inbox is flooded too. (laughs) Yeah, it has been for sure. Okay. But the thing is, most of it has been support. I know there's been some backlash, but I mean, the amount of support and people who have reached out saying thank you just tells me who the, the silent majority kind of is. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. <laughs> what has the backlash been? I mean, there's definitely been, you know, the few comments calling me transphobic. There's definitely been people telling me I should have just worked harder. Oh, I'm just crying because I didn't get to take home my trophy and stuff like that. But, you know, to me, it doesn't bother me at all because they're completely missing the point. And so it's kind of, it is what it is. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of being poised and, you know, being respectful because I always want to be respectful. And so anyone who has those things to say, kind of like in one ear out of the other, but the amount of support and the amount of people who have reached out saying, thank you. I mean, it's tenfold anything negative I've received. I'm so glad. That's amazing. Yeah. Brua Kennedy said, I don't know much about the person, but he's pissed about the whole Leah Thompson thing, not because he doesn't like trans people, but because he believes the whole situation was unfair. Telling the truth is love. And he wants to know why others and their parents didn't tell the truth, no matter what the cost. Yeah. Just from talking to different people in the NCAA who were at the event, so different swimmers, they're actually told from their athletic department that they're not allowed to speak out out about it or their athletic opportunities would be taken away, which is absolutely crazy. We have even remotely gotten to this point to be kind of coached on not to say anything. What? (laughs) And so I did not have that at the University of Kentucky. I have people telling me to speak my heart, which is what I would have done anyways. But I know a lot of people who are scared of obviously this cancel culture we live in. And so I think there's this fear that you won't get a job. You won't get as many opportunities if you speak out, but being silent is so much worse. And this is an issue that, that needs to be handled with, with volume. I think the more voices, the better. That's when people will realize, you know, oh, I'm not alone in feeling like this, which is by myself speaking out, I've realized. And so I've connected with so many amazing people throughout my whole experience who have helped me tremendously. And this I mean, I've had job opportunities, I mean, all across the field, political opportunities. And so it's more than a deterrent. It's full of opportunities. And I don't think people realize that. When's the movie coming out? I I know. (laughs) I actually have been working with Tony, who you know, but he is a a PR kind of guy. And we're in the works of a book, which is just crazy, kind of highlighting you know, the whole experience and not just for myself, different people who have been involved, different people who have experienced similar situations and a documentary. And so lots of cool things to kind of spread light on the issue and not just, just my point of view, but lots of point of views. And I think that's extremely important. I love that. I really do believe we're all part of one collective soul. And like you said, the more we unite and do it with love, then I think the better. Yes. No, yes, for sure. I also think that the fact that the University of Kentucky is so supportive is kind of like a Southern thing. Like everyone in the South is like, you know, that's just how they are. No, I know. It's been really great. Our athletic director has treated me tremendously. I'm just extremely fortunate after talking to people who don't have that same experience. I actually had a couple of Leah's teammates reach out to me and say, 
thank you for speaking out. You have no idea what we go through every single day. We can't say anything because of the position we're in and we're told not to, but we can't commend you enough. And so, I mean, to hear that from people who, you know, are around Thomas every single day, it makes it worth it. That's fantastic. Okay. Kayla Watts wants to know why all the acting and how the NCAA handled the staging. How did you handle it right after it happened? If she's referring to kind of like the award situation that happened, I'll give a quick briefing, but basically we tied. I went behind. So right after your race, you go behind the little awards podium thing and they distribute the the trophies. They don't account for ties. So they only have first through eighth in trophies. Me and Leah tied for fifth. So they only had one fifth. I went back there. The guy said, the NCAA official, he looked at me and he said, great race. You can hold the sixth place trophy. Yours will come in the mail. We're going to give the, tr- the fifth place trophy to Leah. And so, you know, I understand there's only one. And so it didn't even cross my mind to like think anything at first. And I, I asked, I said, okay, that's like totally cool. But can I ask, you know, why you were adamant on giving it to Thomas? And he looked at me and he said, oh, we're just going in chronological order. And at this point I was like, okay, well, what are we being chronological about? Because we tied. So maybe I'm just not understanding. So can you tell me? what we're being chronological about. And he said, you hold the sixth place trophy. Great job. And at this point I was heated because I had realized completely what happened. And it's that, you know, females were put on the back burner at a female's event. And so I was mind blown and I I did, you know, I was one, I was already out of breath and my heart rate was high. And so it probably came off a little meaner than I'm, than I intended. But I looked at this guy and I said, the official and Leah is standing right beside me at this point. And so she's hearing obviously all of this. Um, But I looked at the official and I said, are you serious? I said, Leah won a national title last night and you're going to give her the trophy and the women's 200 freestyle. And he just kind of didn't know what to do. Obviously they weren't prepared for the situation, but completely blew me off. And so I was heated. I was pretty mad. That's when I, I really was like, this is an issue. Not only were we overlooked in terms of allowing males to compete with us, but we were put second to a male. And so that's when I was like, this is not okay. This is just opening a door to a whole nother, a whole new field of opportunities. And it was something that I was like, I will be the one to speak out about this because at first, you know, I was like, someone else will, you know, I don't want to put myself in that position if I don't have to. But I was like, this is not something that I can just sit back and let happen, especially thinking about future events. And, you know, I have a little sister. I was like, no way. This is absolutely crazy. And so to answer the question of how I handled it, it really fired me up. It really fired, you know, kind of my coaches and my teammates up. And so being in that position and dealing with that experience, I mean, it was absolutely crazy. Wow. That is so brave, though. Yeah, it's almost sad that you kind of have to call that brave. But it is. I mean, it definitely took some guts and it has been definitely overwhelming this past couple months. But like I mentioned, it's, it's worth it. I mean, for sure. Have you ever stood up for yourself like this before? Not on this kind of stage where you have a lot of people kind of watching and being one of very few women who have experienced an experience like this. To have so many people kind of looking at you is definitely crazy. And it's not something I've experienced before, but I am the kind of person who is going to stick up for themselves. I'm going to stick up for others. You know, I'm a very loyal person. And so I'm just that kind of person. I'm never going to be a bystander. 
like I mentioned, how I was raised. And so seeing this and dealing with this, I, I just couldn't, <laughs> I was like, uh, and so the first person who reached out to me, I believe it was the daily wire. who was the first people who reached out and offered me an interview opportunity. I said, of course I would love to. And I kind of filled her in on the story because no one knew the extent to which I was treated and females in general were treated. They just knew we tied, but they didn't know the full story until I came out and said, Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely a whirlwind. Do you think that you'll be able to leverage any of these opportunities? Yeah, for sure. I definitely think there's other possibilities there, which I like. I like keeping, you know, kind of my my doors open to new things. I've had a lot of opportunity on the political side of things. I actually spoke at our Kentucky Senate. I was present in the Senate chamber when our little backstory, our governor, Andy Bashir vetoed the passing of the bill, Fairness in Women's Sports, which meant he was basically wanting to include transgenders in middle school and high school age sports. But the bill got overridden in the Senate chamber. And so I was present for that. And it was an amazing experience. And so I got to participate in press conferences. I've been invited to Capitol Hill multiple times now, and it's only been a couple months. And so forming these connections and kind of doing these appearances and stuff is something I'm interested in. It's, it's like I mentioned, something I'm passionate about. And so having something you're passionate about and interested in, it's, it's, a, it's a good recipe. Oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. Okay, cool. Are scholarship swimmers in some universities being threatened with scholarship loss if they speak about the truth of this? I'm not particularly sure. I don't know what the consequences would be when these swimmers are telling me, you know, they're not allowed to say anything. I'm not sure what they're being threatened with, but going on the scholarship thing, you know, this whole issue has allowed kind of coaches to recruit and offer scholarships to biological males. And so in that aspect, you know, females are having scholarships taken away because I believe each swim team has about 14 total scholarships, full scholarships to give. But I mean, we have over 40 girls on our team. And so you have one biological male taking up a lump sum of your money. It's taking scholarships away. And it's happened. It is happening. It's been happening frequently in track and field. And so it's mind blowing that it's gotten to this point, really. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to ask the offensive ones. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some people are calling it cheating. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I don't want it to be a personal attack to Leah because that's never, I never want to attack any person, but the whole ordeal, you know, it is like cheating. There's advantages Thomas has that we don't have, whether that be, you know, something like your size of your heart, the size of your lungs, which affects your lung capacity and your aerobic capacity, you know, your endurance, your strength, your height, your fast twitch movements. There's so many things that even with testosterone suppression, that won't change and will not be diminished. So I think people are under this notion that, oh, if they're at a certain testosterone level, no, that's not how it works. There's certain things that will not change. It is like cheating. It really is. And to see it firsthand, it's cheating. (laughs) That is interesting. Whoa. Jude Lurie, he said, no questions, but please share our love and support for you and remain strong through all of this. That's really sweet. Oh, yeah. No, that's really sweet. And those are the kind of messages, you know, that make this, like I mentioned, worth it. It's people like that who, you know, just remind you how much you're helping and how much you can make a change. That's what keeps it going. So thank you very much. If this were to happen again, how do you think this could have been handled better? 
I think it's something they should have looked at, you know, I think they should have had these rules in place prior to it happening because obviously no one necessarily anticipated it. And so no one was prepared and the NCAA was clearly not prepared from the beginning of the season in October to March, they were back and forth the whole time. And so I was never sure until about three weeks before the meet that Leah was actually competing because they had been so back and forth. Well, we're going to follow these rules set in place by USA Swimming. Oh, those rules are too lenient. Maybe no, we're not. We're going to do this. And so it was back and forth and back and forth. And so it wasn't three weeks until the meet before they decided she's going to swim. And so, I mean, the uncertainty there, it just clearly shows there's no scientific backing to it. If you're going back and forth that many times in such a short amount of time, you know, there's no logical reasoning as to why you did it other than you know, trying to be inclusive, which nothing wrong with being inclusive, but when it comes to fairness in sports, there is something wrong with it. And so I I just don't think they took that into account. That's a great answer. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let me see how I can ask this in a nice way. Okay. You don't have to answer this, but I'll ask it the way it's asked without saying the person's name. Do you think that Leah is a sore male loser and transitioned so that she could say that she plays tire? I don't think that's the sole purpose. I don't think that's the sole purpose for the transition, but I do think it opens a door for sure. I think seeing this this opportunity and seeing it happen, it very easily gives people a chance to say, oh, I'm transitioning to be a female. And that's essentially all you have to do at this point. And that's essentially all Leah did. And so I think it opens a door for Leah herself. I, I don't know if that was, you know, kind of the motive, but it can be, it very easily can be. And I think if something's not changed, it will be. Interesting. Wow. You are good at answering all of these. I cannot believe um, you can handle all of these questions. <laughs> That's Have it. you been like, asked all of this before? Not all of it. Every time it's something new. And every time, you know, my answer, it's not like I, like I said, it's not rehearsed. So every time my answer might vary, but um, it's coming from the heart. So <laughs> do you think that there should be a separate category for transgender competition? I think for sports like swimming, where, like I mentioned, it's a team sport, but it's individual. You're competing for yourself. You know, your time only counts for yourself. So kind of these individual type sports that require power and endurance and strength and all these different factors that, you know, women typically are disadvantaged at. I think a separate category is a way to appease everyone. It gives everyone the chance to compete, which is something I don't think anyone should be denied of, no matter who you are. I think athletic opportunity is important. So it gives everyone that. It gives everyone the chance to be successful, which who doesn't want that, you know? It ensures, you know, protecting the integrity of women's sports. Men's sports are protected. And it allows people to win and do do good things with people like themselves in a playing field that that's even. And I know people think, you know, might think this is segregative, but I'm not thinking like that. I don't want it to be something that's segregation. But at the same time, why don't we have our heavyweight boxers going against featherweights? We're not fat shaming heavyweights by saying they can't be with featherweights, but there's those divisions in place for a reason. And I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, is this gender equality or gender inequality? Right. No, I know. And at this point, it, it's turned into gender inequality. It's completely doing a 180 of everything. You know, the past 50 years, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So the past 50 years, just a total 180. So yeah, gender inequality for sure at this point, and especially if it continues. Oh my God, I cannot wait to hear what my dad has to say about this. (laughs) 
seriously. Because <laughs> he's from such a, a different generation. No, I know. And that's the thing. I, I don't think a lot of people realize, and I don't realize, but what it was like 50 years ago to live in the 1970s before then when women couldn't compete. We've come so far. I mean, but to have it taken away is just a complete slap in the face. And I, I, I don't think people realize, you know, I think people think of transgenders as an oppressed group, a historically oppressed group, which I mean, no doubt, but what are women? We're a historically oppressed group. And, and I just think people completely forget about that. But I mean, women make up 50% of the world. Transgenders might make up 1%. So it's just mind blowing to me, really. Have you and Leah had a talk about things? We chatted briefly after the whole thing, small talk, nothing serious or anything. But like I mentioned before, she, she was standing right next to me as I'm kind of running my mouth to the NCAA official. And not once did she offer her trophy, which I'm not fussed about the trophy. I have tons of trophies. Getting the trophy is not the problem to me. You know, I, I didn't care about the trophy. It was more so the principal, but not once did she say, here, why don't you hold this? I'll hold the sixth place one and mine can come in the mail. And so to me, it just says a lot. Nothing specifically against her, but I mean, any person, you know, it's kind of a respect thing. And I, I didn't get that from her, but she has not spoken out about the issue since it kind of happened. So can you talk just a little bit about the SEC award that you just won? Yes, <laughs> I actually just won SEC Community Service Leader of the Year. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you so much. So they pick one female athlete across every single sport and the whole SEC. So all, what is it, 14 schools? Um, they choose one person. And so I'm extremely honored. I'm someone who, you know, believes in service. I believe in giving back. And so I always stay involved with my community. My biggest time commitment in the community is a mentoring program called Amachi. It pairs mentors and mentees together with mentees who are dealing with parental incarceration. And so I mentor this little girl named Cammie, and we've been buddies for four years and we hang out every single week, multiple times a week. And she's, I mean, she's like my friend. I love her. And so, um, but yes, I'm very involved in my community. Love giving back. I really do. So. Wow. How did you get involved with that organization? It's something someone on the swim team had done before. And when they were telling me about it, I was like, I want to do that. That sounds so rewarding. It sounds like you can make a difference. And I love doing that if I can. And so being able to do that is just, I mean, it's the best feeling. And it's not just me helping her. I mean, she's helped me. So it's, it's an incredible experience. And so I encourage anyone listening or watching, get involved, do things. There's, there's nothing more satisfying. Wow. You've been doing that for four years. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. Along talk about stuff. how that has changed you as a person. Like, what was it like in the beginning until now? That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's incredibly eye-opening. Moving to Lexington, I wasn't obviously extremely familiar with that area as I'm from Nashville. And so I, I didn't realize kind of the disparity mm -hmm. and the, the differences between, you know, myself and other people in the community. And so being paired with her, while it's an incredibly sad, incredibly sad situation for her, Joe's with her grandparents, her dad is in jail, her mom's in jail for 16 more years. It's incredibly sad. Obviously, you know, there's some differences between us. I come from a very fortunate household. My parents, you know, love each other very much. And I've never had to, I don't want to say I've never had to work for anything, but I mean, it's kind of true. I, I'm extremely fortunate. And so to kind of see these differences, it just makes you realize how lucky you are and how grateful you are or how grateful you should be for, for everything you have. And it, it's really done that for me. Wow. Do you feel like 
she's been able to accomplish more since having your friendship and, and you as a role model? I do. I help her all the time with school and stuff. She actually, we worked on an art piece together and she got put in the art little museum thing in Lexington. And so lots of cool opportunities there. And she's, she's really blossomed. She's 10 now. Well, she's about to turn 10. So it's crazy. She's just completely come out of her shell and she, she's really, really, really bright. She's going into fifth grade. And so clearly there's differences in our age, our race, everything between us. But I mean, she's still like my little girl, my best friend. And so that's another point in terms of inclusivity. It's not like I'm with this whole Leah Thomas situation trying to discriminate against anyone. I would never do that. I'm not the kind of person to do that. And I think not that I'm doing the Samachi program to prove that, but it does kind of, you know, help my situation in terms of proving I'm not just some white blonde girl who wants to get her way all the time because that's that's not what I am I love that that's really beautiful <laughs> is there anything that you would like to ask my dad oh let's see or do I don't you have know. any let's... final thoughts that you would want people to take away from this final thoughts use your voice like we mentioned this is something that needs to be dealt with with volume and so even if you think it doesn't matter it does. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. Speak how you feel, even if it's the other way. You know, I think people need to get more comfortable with speaking up and being kind of fearless in a sense that you're not scared of the kind of backlash you can receive from it. Because I promise you, it's not like what you think it's going to be. And so I think final thoughts definitely use your voice. It matters. That's really beautiful. Have you seen your parents speak up for anything that they believe in? Of course, all the time. My dad, with this whole kind of thing that he's been through, he is a great public speaker. So I've been to lots of talks where he he speaks on things, very present in the church. And so he does a lot of different things there, which nowadays is something that people kind of commend, which is just so crazy to me. You can kind of think someone is brave for doing even things as simple as doing things in your church. But that's something my family, you know, is very involved in. And so of course, my parents are very much not afraid to to speak out kind of like myself, which is definitely where I got it from, <laughs> which might not be a good thing all the time, but they really are incredible. So yeah, I love that. I really look up to people that can use their voice and try to use their voice to help others. Yes, I know. I, I think that's kind of a common theme. I think a lot of people do, but I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. So I think a lot of people are still afraid. And I think that especially in today's social media world, and there's so much judgment that there are a lot of people that will just talk to you in the DMs. I had so many people just DM me because they didn't even want to respond to the post that I was interviewing yeah. you. Exactly. And it's crazy because, you know, these people would never say this to your face. And so to me, it speaks a lot about that person. I've received actually tons and tons of, of mail in the mail and how people have, they've, they've sent some mail to the pool, which I am at the University of Kentucky and stuff. But anyone that has anything negative to say never has returned a sender, never has names on it. And so to me, it speaks volumes, you know, of course, you'd say these things, but you're not willing to unveil, you know, yourself. And that's something that to me, it just says a lot. 
Well, you're an inspiration to me and thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I, I hope that, you know, I can support you in some way. Is there any way that, you know, people that want to support the organization that you're a part of that people can support that? Yes, of course. We've got some pretty cool things planned and some pretty cool things lined up in terms of different rallies and things like that. And so I can provide details a little later. I'm not sure exactly what I can and can't tell yet, but there's lots of cool things planned. I'll be going to Vegas at the end of the month and doing some things there, but just reach out if you have any questions or anything like that. And I can definitely point people in the right direction in terms of providing different contacts and things like that, because no matter how you feel, there's other people who feel exactly like you. And I'm more than willing to help make those connections. So anyone who has anything, my Instagram is Riley.Gaines. If you want to reach out, would love to answer some questions, any kinds of questions, really. So keep going. I am so proud of you. Seriously, you're way beyond your years. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that time. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. This is your episode with Riley, who's a terrific swimmer, comes from a family of talent, people that compete, that also have sportsmanship and compassion for their sport and for the people that they compete with. So you're talking about she's gotten not only a a beautiful example from her own family, but she even had a mentor, a coach that really drove her to be the best that she can be, which is, again, predicated by her family's wishes that if you find something that you love, that you can be good at, go for it. And again, to be the best that you can be. And as you know, your own father is the type of father that wants his children to be the best that they can be. And whatever training or lessons or or whatever example of positive encouragement and enforcement of ascertaining the best goals that you can, whether it's educational-wise, competitive-wise, that's the key to success is to have that type of encouragement and drive to be able to reach for the stars. But what happens when you compete for a title against somebody that potentially shouldn't be competing against you? Isn't it funny or ironic that you have two people with the same points tying for fifth and sixth, and they're going to give one person the fifth place trophy and we'll mail you one. The same thing happened to your sister, where she tied for the high school championship. They gave it to the boy, the first place, and said, well, here's the second place. It's the same size trophy. It's just second place, but we'll send you a new name tag. Guess what? They never sent her a new name tag. She still had the second place trophy, and he got the first place trophy. No girl had ever won the Kentucky high school championship, and she tied for first have been co-champions. And yet, because she's the girl, they gave it to the boy. And isn't that really, when you're talking about this transgender, you're talking about a really very big issue here. Okay. Here's someone that is really born a man or born a male competing now with women. Scientifically, I concur that still the odds are that the male is going to have an advantage over the female. And you have a tie, and they did the same thing. Let's give it to the transgender because we don't want a political issue, and we'll mail you trophy later. And I don't think it really bothered her. What bothered her was that, again, where women have worked so hard in competitive sports, and you have the issue of maybe that a male or someone that's not a female getting first choice of the trophy. I don't think that's right. That's not fair. The difference is 
is that this new girl or, or transgender says, if it really bothered you, here, I'll wait and get the trophy. That didn't happen. You get kind of a mixed message that maybe not necessarily in this case, but you can send a mixed message that, hey, I really love to be competitive in whatever my sport might be. And I could reach a higher rating, whether it's playing tennis or whether it's swimming or whatever the sport might be. If I can be an elevated on a bigger stage, if I change my sex from a male to a female, I don't think that's right. She's been raised to speak out. She's been raised to be a good sport. It's not just about her placement. She's thinking about all of the women and how hard that they have to work competing. And it's an unfair advantage, but it's also showing bias towards women. I have to concur 100% with her analysis of what's happened. What did you think about that story about her dad? That also goes to show you what sportsmanship and compassion to your competitors are about, that he is above competition. Here's the guy, because remember, I have, a, I have an injury to my back playing sports where I got hit wrong. But how do you like how someone who actually hit him in a tackle ended up with a, a tragic ending to his life and to his being able to function? And yet it's almost like reverse roles where the way he got tackled and he is stepping up and understanding that that's part of the game. And yet the person that tackled him, that could have maybe even hurt him, turns around and says, hey, I don't need to be hurt. But somebody got hurt tackling me in the game and ended up doing what? Not only becoming his best friend, but also honoring his memory and being with him and showing that it's more than who won or lost, but honoring tragedy of what can happen in in football or in this sport. And that he has compassion for fellow gladiators or fellow a fellow person that he's competing with, where there's honor in that. Isn't that what his daughter is doing? is honoring herself, but the sport and the people that compete in it. He's really stepping up, honor all of the girls that work so hard to be able to have a woman's sports, whether it's competing in softball or baseball, or like I said, tennis, and it just so happens to be swimming, and that they are trying to elevate themselves. And she's looking at what's best for the sport, as her father did, by honoring the memory and honoring a fellow competitor, not just the love of the game, but a love of the loyalty towards the competition of the game and the people that are in it. Looking at it in a much bigger picture, in my opinion. I was very impressed with the way that she was able to speak up and answer all of the questions I shot her direction. But you know why she was able to answer them all? Because she's speaking from the heart. She's speaking from experience, being able to show you what real competition and sportsmanship is about. All right. I think you liked that one. I did. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 